Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home? Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, three-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David and Dan discuss the Twins' four-game series against the Boston Red Sox. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufis. With me, as always, is Dan Thompson. The Twins managed to split a four-game series in Boston against the mighty, mighty Red Sox, Dan Thompson. And let me tell you, this series is just how you should give constructive criticism, right? So it was something good, then the bad criticism... And then, Dan, something good at the end. It was a good example of that for those of us who are in a position to, to give feedback. The compliment sandwich? That's what you're exactly. talking about? Yes, yes. I knew there was a name There's for a term it. for it. Yeah, it's the compliment sandwich. Yeah, so, that was not a bad series, I'd say, Dan. Two wins in Boston? But Come didn't on it now. feel awful? It didn't feel good. Like, at the time, I think it was because of the, maybe the games I paid most attention to were the Saturday and Sunday games, and those were the terrible ones of the series. Well, yes, they weren't the ones that I would choose to watch again if I had to, if I had to watch. <laughs> again but really dan anything with those yellow uniforms oh. that the red sox put on i don't want to see those ever why again. i'm sure somebody in boston could correct us but how is yellow and blue fit <laughs> into the color scheme of the red sox didn't love that also we should mention why they started this baseball game at dawn i think on monday <laughs> Um, it was weird. I had to set my alarm, Dan. It was, it was, it was a strange one. I, I literally like was just starting teaching for the day, and there was a baseball game on. It was bizarre, um, but it was because of the Boston Marathon. Yeah, yeah. So they have Patriots Day, which is a state holiday in Massachusetts, I'm being told. So they, they have a holiday. They have the marathon. All of the fans from the Red Sox go out to cheer on the runners as they finish the marathon. So this was brought to my attention from a loyal listener, another Dan in my life, mm-hmm. uh, Dan Thompson. So he brought it up to me. So I have been, uh, I have been informed now, Dan. I know why they played baseball at 6 a.m. Well, okay, we should probably start into this series. A very interesting series to talk about, most certainly. Series recap. Game one, Dan, and it just started with the thing that all Twins fans want to see the least. Byron Buxton leaving the field mid-game, Dan. It like, you know, it sends off just a Twitter storm, right, of commentary. <laughs> like, this is how I found out, David. So I was looking at my texts and I see, well, hey, two series of Buxton are better than none. <laughs> pop something sliding into second that's like it's like when you get an alert from like the nurse's office at school like hey your kid you know like you get the phone call and you're like oh no what happened it was a weird play too if hoags texted me actually and he had said this is boston's fault because had they caught it buxton wouldn't have tried to like get into second on this weird dropped pop fly to the left field well and luckily you know he because he left the game right away slams his hand down yes. slams his helmet but then he ended up not having any structural damage maybe maybe you don't yeah. you think maybe there is some structural damage they're not telling us I, about I don't know. I think that they didn't move him to the IL because they didn't want the reaction. But I'm just saying, little tinfoil hat here, I wouldn't be super surprised if we get a notification that Buxton's been moved to the IL uh, after further evaluation. But he said he felt no pain. 
anymore, David, or okay. something like that. He said he felt okay. fine 100 percent. Again, I hope I stand corrected. I hope that he's in the lineup for the Royals series. Just one of those things. I'm not necessarily fully on the train that says Byron Buxton is 100 percent healthy. Well, it is hard to blame you because obviously we've been down this road before where Buxton maybe seems healthy, but he's not. And well, there were other things though, because the twins, you know, as much as Buxton losing Buxton hurts, they they go up four to one here through two innings. They add a couple more in the fifth. And though Boston scores some of the eighth, the twins add those lovely insurance runs in the ninth and yes. they win this game eight to four. It was a fun game to watch from that perspective. It's the home opener for the Red Sox. There's a lot of energy in the stands, but the Twins still managed to get it done. Your boy, your boy Dan Thompson, got on the board. Miguel Sano, his first hit. Of course, a home run over the Green Monster. It might still be his only. It's not quite his only hit, but it kind of feels that way. He did get a hit in game two. But yes, he loves to play at the Monster. He loves hitting those long home runs. Do you remember, David, when he hit one out of the entire stadium? Yes, I remember, Dan. Thank you. Always, always willing to bring up the memories. Wonderful. But the other, the big takeaway from this game, though, again, I think was Joe Ryan's outing. He had six innings pitched, five hits, one run, only one of them earned. It was a solo shot home run, seven strikeouts, Dan. This kid looks like the real deal. He does. He looks great. They might actually have an ace now to take over, and maybe I will have somebody else to mention other than Kyle Gibson when I'm recalling great (laughs) Twins pitchers of the last couple decades. Here's to hoping. But then the bullpen comes in, only two other pitchers used. So we had Duran came in, pitched two innings, did give up three runs, didn't look quite as crisp as he did as of opening day and then uh, Pagan comes in to finish it out yeah I mean they they did all right they they did the job that they needed to do and again those insurance runs in the ninth inning are so crucial when you're playing in a place like Boston that always feels like the twins are capable of falling apart I know it's not the same as Yankee Stadium for them but it's not one of those stadiums that you want the twins clinging to a one or a two run lead going into the bottom of the ninth yeah and I do want to offer a little bit of not condolences I don't even know what the right word is here but Duran got burned in a couple of cases here mm-hmm. for his earned runs one a bad play by a rise at third i don't think that guy can play at third base any longer and secondly had kepler been able to stay in right field and not have to move to center because of buxton's injury i think he would have caught the home run ball that duran gave up mm-hmm. because garlic played it just terribly it shows you again how much buxton and his presence just trickles down to the rest of the lineup well let's go to game two less fun and uh, another injury which you know you could make a case that this if it lingers could be a more costly injury than buxton you think i think so i obviously if buxton is out for an extended period of time that's a problem but i think Sonny gray being out could be really problematic for this team too well that's why it's beneficial though dan that the twins currently have a 12-man rotation <laughs> that's true <laughs> they can always just sneak somebody else in there because he only lasts an inning and two-thirds before he leaves with hamstring tightness i believe uh, is what they called it and so he the report is that it's not going to keep him out more than one start but i will believe that when i see it a hamstring injury that's not easy that can get tweaked so easily yeah and they, they put him on the 10-day il so we'll see i think that's at least two starts depending how your math works out but Josh Winder came in and gave them starter innings, unlike his first outing, which was an inning. Um, he yeah. pitched five and a third, four hits, two runs, a walk, and a couple strikeouts. That's really serviceable. Yeah, especially when you needed those innings to be eaten. There were still two games left in the series after this game. You need to keep the bullpen at least some of those arms fresh and ready to go. And yet the Twins lose this one four to nothing. Really no offense to speak of other than Trevor Larnock, who had three of the Twins' five hits in the game. Um, Arise had one. Sano did have one as well. But other than that, not much. Over four with runners in scoring position. Just never really felt like the Twins were threatening to win this game. Well, and then game three. And game three actually felt much more winnable for a longer stretch. Uh, the Red Sox end up winning this one eight to one on a Sunday afternoon. The Red Sox score the first runs of this game, but that's not until the sixth inning when it's two nothing. Again, this one felt more winnable than the final score. Definitely. Things got out of hand in the eighth 
inning, Caleb Thielbar just got lit up. But I, I don't want to overlook. Ober had a very good start as well. Mm-hmm. So he went six innings pitched, four hits, two runs. None of them earned, by the way, because of a Miguel Sano error that it looked weird and like he was playing against the sun, but it was still a play that he needed to make. Yeah, and I just think when you are this offense and you're you're not going against, you know, Matt Waka has been a good pitcher, I think, in his career. Maybe some Cardinals and Red Sox fans will correct me. I know he's looked pretty good this year. He's got a .96 ERA. I just don't think of him as being this unbeatable starting pitcher when you have no. multiple all-stars in the lineup like the Twins do. I mean, look at the top four of this lineup. Well, it's the top three of this lineup. I'm not going to count Kepler. Arise, Correa, and Polanco. I mean, those are all-star caliber players right there. Maybe. I don't know what position Arise would be considered an all-star <laughs> at as part of the problem. Well, we're, we're, is... we're ignoring his fielding here, David. Okay. That seems, that's how all-stars are determined. <laughs> it's only, it's one tool, right? It's all about the hitting, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, but so Ober had a very good outing, and then Duffy actually pitched a clean inning, and then things got out of hand with, with Thielbar, then Stashak, who's back up with the team, uh, which is good. Gives them another option. He didn't look great in this outing, mind no. you, but I think it's his first start back. Maybe he'll, maybe after he gets a couple more innings under his belt, he'll start to feel a little bit more comfortable, and I don't think they're going to be using him in any high-level situations in the near future. No, and what's surprising to me, I'm just looking at the stats, hasn't this felt like the Twins pitching has been better than last year? So far, yeah. It's hard to remember last year because things just went so terribly. Because this <laughs> year know? so far, the, yeah, so far this year, they're 19th in ERA with a 4.09 ERA. I think the big thing is, is we're getting some decent innings out of the starters and they're keeping the run totals down. And again, the downfall of this team so far, the losses that they've suffered have not been due to starting pitching. No, that's true. And actually, as far as starters ERA, the Twins rank fifth in the league, 2.96. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's saying. pretty remarkable, really, all things it's, considered. Yeah, it's it's surprising, if nothing else, right? Like everybody <laughs> was so concerned about that, but really it's the bats that need to get going. However, Dan, here we go. Game four, Twins turn it around. They secure the series split. They win this one eight to three. The offense, though, Dan, was really fueled this outing by walks and patience at the plate. Totally. They had seven walks. Um, it, it felt like every at bat was five, six pitches deep. Rich Hill threw 80 pitches and didn't even get through the fifth inning. I thought that was really telling. That's how you can wear down a team, right? Especially at the end of a four-game series. Yeah, a quick shout out to to Rich Hill. Feel bad for him. So his dad passed away this last weekend. So he was sort of pitching that had to be a pretty emotional toll to be out on the mound after something like that. And the Twins jumped on him early. They had two runs in the first and two runs in the third. Um, and by then, you know, they, they really sealed it up in the eighth inning with four runs. Again, insurance runs, that, which was a common theme in, the, in game one and game four. The Twins wins in the series. Kyle Garlic batting cleanup, Dan. Uh, I so- When I saw that, David, I was... And then you know what he does? Is he goes and he hits a home it, run. It's a home run. He d- so uh, Ted from, from Twins Daily tweeted that out, that that's just how we drew it up. Garlic in the cleanup spot. And I had I replied right after Garlic hit the home run. And I was like, yeah, you know, I agree with the sarcasm. But my goodness, it's kind of hard not to chuckle at this after Garlic hits a two-run shot. Well, is he like the Jake Cave now of this team? Like, is he just going to hang around and fill in and play well in, in spots like this? Well, I don't know, because he, he has a very particular role. I mean, yes, it's not how we drew it up certainly, but Garlic in the four spot here makes a little bit of sense because Hill is a lefty, and that's all that Kyle Garlic can do, is smash lefties, Dan Thompson, and so as soon as a righty came into the game, Rocco pulled him, so it's not it's not like he was going to leave him out there, he's not going to be your everyday player, but he's a guy who can crush lefties, so when there's a lefty on the mound, you're probably going to see Kyle Garlic, especially until Buxton comes at, back at the very least. Well, and what I want to say, I wanted to give a shout out to Max Kepler, who replaced Garlic, because I believe it was in game three, did you see where Max Max Kepler hit a baseball yeah, yeah. to opposite field. He like, did. The and there was nobody there. <laughs> nobody over there ready for that. Kepler's just trying to hang on for one more year until that shift has to go away. Like, this is a key year for Max. Key 
a year just waiting for the rules to change so he can be effective again. Exactly, because that's what we need. We want to manipulate the game so that players can be more effective than they ought to be. That's what we really ought to be doing with rules, David. If you haven't watched the the highlights of this, folks, go back and watch the eighth inning. It just came down to the Twins getting like four walks, being super patient at the plate, getting some timely hitting. Polanco hits a ball. It's a single down the right field line. And it was one of those moments, Dan, where like I found myself fist pumping. Finally, a clutch hit. Well, it was the only hit with a runner in scoring position in this game. They were one for 10. I think that's all I have here for the series, Dan. Any other notes? No, let's go on to my favorite segment. Oh, this is terrible. Touch them all, Kirby Puckett! Puckett's Picks winner. Puckett's Picks. Dan comes away with the victory. Picking Sanchez. My goodness, I think that's what hurts more than anything. So the listeners took Buxton. Buxton had two points. Dan had Sanchez, who had four with, with the victory. I don't know that I really want to talk about it, Dan. So I had I had Correa. I am just convinced that this man, who we are paying more than any other infielder in the history of the MLB, is going to turn it around at some point. But so far, if you look at the season, I have picked Correa twice and Polanco once, and my total point scored is negative five. Not even one time were you positive so far in the three series here this is just i think it's, it's some sort of penance due to my gloating uh, last season after i pretty much ran away with it at the end of the season dan i'm just gonna be happy with my victory david i'm not gonna gloat two and oh all right let's uh let's go forward to beast versus bench beast versus bench is losing fun is losing fun well i i looked at the hitting and I just couldn't pick a position player that exactly. I felt made exactly. made any difference. So I went with Joe Ryan. Um, he had that great game one start. Joe Ryan goes six innings, one run, five hits, seven strikeouts. Looks like an ace, um, especially on the road. But just the fact that he looked so composed gave them a long start. Anytime you start a series with a guy who can give you a quality start, that just sets you up well for the rest of the series. Absolutely. Those innings are crucial. The longer you can keep your bullpen arms fresh, the better chance you have as the games wear on in a series. So are you going to go with Bundy then? Is he going to be your pick? You know, he wouldn't have been a terrible choice. He did get knocked out, though, and I didn't love the way that he got knocked out. I'm going to go with Ober, actually, because I think he had almost as good a start as Ryan. Again, had the defense helped him out a little bit more. Um, I also considered Winder. But from like a hitter's perspective, yeah, either Arise or Polanco is probably your best bet because they had sort of big moments where they stepped up. But man, Dan, other than that, it's really hard to choose someone on the offensive side of the ball. So I think I am going to go with Bailey Ober this time out. And I think, you know, we just named off three rookie starters there in yeah. Josh Winder, Bailey Ober, and Joe Ryan. How encouraging is that got to be for the front office? Very, very encouraging encouraging dan thompson well who do you got on your bench i went with a bullpen guy i went with caleb thielbar in a key spot i know we kind of talked about this in game three but he gave up four earned runs in a third of an inning when the game was still pretty close and i just thought that was really a key moment where the bullpen let them down you could almost have picked stashak who came in and after that too but i thought the damage was pretty much done there out of a guy that i at least am counting on to have a really good season he was my pick to have the best bullpen era so caleb thielbar's era right now is at 23.63 on the season uh, which is not the way you want to be starting no should we compare that with the closer that we got rid of dan sent to the padres go ahead sure taylor rogers folks if you haven't kept an eye on him um i have just because i'm curious and sometimes those padres games are on late at night and so after bedtime i can flip it on watch a little padres baseball taylor rogers has had four save opportunities has saved all four games and has only given up one hit in all of his outings dan thompson that's just what the twins wanted him to do i guess i mean pagan's been been all right so far pagan's had three outings he's given up one hit in three innings i mean but it's not taylor rogers no anyhow that's a lot of talk about pitchers who do you have on your bench yeah so i put jeffers on my bench man my goodness this guy was supposed to take a step forward this season all i can say is he had a 
terrible series. Went 0 for 3 in game 1 with two strikeouts. Went 0 for 3 in game 2 with two strikeouts. Game 4 was his best appearance, Dan, and he went 0 for 1 with two walks and a strikeout. He so did get on base. Things. Yeah, but that's, not, yeah, that's I mean, not what you want out of a DH, certainly, like in game 4. No, that's what's so funny. It's like, why are you putting Jeffers in a DH? Like, I understand, to be honest, it was interesting in this game because that could have actually hurt them if mm-hmm. there was an emergency catching situation because he pinched hit a rise for Jeffers, which we'll talk about in Rocco's Rewind, I believe. Well, let's go ahead and go into that. Rocco's Rewind. Yeah, so I'll just piggyback off my thoughts here. I just think that Rocco made every correct move in game four. And even even on the broadcast, they were talking about how it was a bit risky to replace Jeffers with a rise because then you don't have a backup catcher. I don't care. In that moment, you're trying to win that game. And if some freak accident happens where Sanchez can't catch, I'm sure one of the other major league baseball players on the field, Dan, can sit behind the plate for an inning or two. Yeah, because that's all they do behind the plate is just catch the ball. David come you, on okay what do you mean yes. by that that's not demean the catching you're position telling, no 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 I'm not saying that anybody can do it but I'm saying in a moment where you need literally an inning or two of catching you're telling me that there's no one on this roster who could put the catcher gear on and stand behind the plate especially Dan they don't even have to use their fingers anymore they tap little buttons on a on a wristband and it tells the pitcher where to throw the ball <laughs> maybe that's more complicated who do you think would be the most likely candidate who's going back there I'd probably arise I'd bet sure why not he can't yeah. run anyway so yeah, you might exactly. as well just put him back there <laughs> so so you think this is a bad idea? To no, I think it's rise. a good idea. I just think you're underplaying the value of the catching position. In a very small sample size where you literally need to get through a couple innings where you're up six runs. Yeah, I think the odds of them needing to go to an emergency catcher there are pretty slim. So yeah, I'm, I, I agree I'm with you. I think this is the right call. Anyway, but so I just think that that was a, a every move that Rocco made seemed like a good move as far as when he pulled the pitchers, when he had guys warming up. And then also it seems Pagan didn't get into the game because Jax was finally able to finish out game four. But I do think Pagan does seem like the guy that Rocco's going to lean on for those high leverage and save situations moving forward. And as far as I can tell, who can blame him right now? I don't know that Duran yeah. is quite ready for it. I think no. Duran is a great seventh or eighth inning guy right now. Yes, agreed. What do you uh, have for Rocco, Dan? So this is something you and I texted about a little bit. Why is Gordon playing center field right now in a backup role? It's very confusing because, as we pointed out in our texts, why is Celestino on the roster well, that's if he's the not thing. playing when, when Buxton's injured? That's the whole reason he's on the roster right so yeah so gordon comes in in game one and takes over for buxton after he gets hurt then in game two he starts and bats seventh playing center and then in game three he starts and bats ninth playing center field now he did come out garlic came in and pinch hit for him and and then stayed in the game and then in game four then celestino did start in center but i just don't you want to play celestino right i mean you want him to be your fourth outfielder right now and it seems that since buxton is hurt or when he is hurt the outfield is suddenly thrown into total chaos as far as how how he employs the players and Gordon just doesn't look like a natural center fielder. No, and he's Gordon, doing an admirable job. I don't like, but like it was clear in game one, there was a ball that Gordon didn't get to, that Buxton gets to. 100%. Um, and there's so many, every, every, it feels like literally every game we can point to that. And yes. And I, you got to think Celestino as a natural center fielder would be a better defensive player, right? Yes. So well, again, I, uh, to your earlier point, it's not just about whether you can hit, you have to be able to field too. And it seems to be throwing that out when you put Gordon in center field. I don't think that much better as a hitter right now than Celestino is. That's the thing. So when Celestino was coming up to bat in the big eighth inning today, he drew a walk. It was a really good combination for him. But Bramer, and I think it was Smalley on the broadcast today, were saying, well, maybe they'll pinch hit Gordon here. I'm like, that's not a big, like, what are we talking about here as far as step up for numbers are concerned? I don't know that putting Gordon in the box is any better than Celestino right now. No, especially because at that point it was not, you know, it wasn't eight to three yet. The game was not out of reach or eight to two. So I think they needed him defensively. So that was good. That was a good call to keep Celestino in. Let's move on to our next segment. (laughs) 
Minnesota moment. I'm pointing out how after game three, Carlos Correa was asked, understandably, about the lack of hitting for this team. And he says this. He says, our offense hasn't got it going yet like it should, but that's what happens when you play 162 every year. There are some ups. There are some downs. We just happen to start in a down right now, but it's going to pick back up. When it picks back up, it's going to be fun again. Couple things. First off, I think he's right about the fact that it's a long, long, long season. Every team does go through ebbs and flows. I do think it's a problem to start poorly, though. There's not a lot of excuse for being a bottom five batting team when you have so many great players in this team. That shouldn't be the floor, right? The floor yes. of this team should not be that. And I think that there's some of that sense of, I, I call this my Minnesota moment because I think sometimes we are okay as Minnesota fans with just poor play and we'll just kind of excuse it off as like, well, you know, they'll turn it around later. No. Miguel's no. no. <laughs> That's a different situation. That man has been maligned by us and the media for years. And 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 to their credit, then, the Twins did come out the next game and, and played very well as maybe their best offensive performance of the season. I just think this is a reminder that our standards are maybe just a tad bit low when it comes to the Twins and their offensive production here. And it's like, hello, we just had the Bomba squad a couple years ago. This should be, we should be expecting a top 10 offense every year out of this team as far as it's constructed now. This is my Minnesota moment because I feel like we are okay with mediocrity in a way that I don't think we ought to be given this lineup. And I and I think it's understandable that people would be concerned, but I was it was very hopeful to see this lineup turned around and, and hit really quite well in an early morning game where they had basically an hour to warm up after dawn, um, is what it yeah. felt like out here. Fair enough. I suppose that's a reasonable Minnesota moment, Dan. But anyway, what about you? What if, what's your moment? Yeah, I think it's got to be the top of the eighth in, in this game four. Just Arise walks, Celestino walks, and then Polanco's single. It just felt like the team really needed this victory, Dan. That's what I truly think. I don't think they can lose another series and sort of keep that sort of momentum and that mindset that yes we can still be a winning baseball team and really this game in that top of the eighth game it had sort of a playoff feel not in the not in like the oh this is a grand scale of baseball but what i mean by that is that this game was far more important for the twins to win than it was for the red sox just in the sense that the twins are the road team they've already struggled this season correct sure like you, yeah you got swept by the dodgers it was only a two-game series and like truly dan this team right now even if they're playing at their best i don't think they beat the Dodgers so but they need to get in a position where if they do get to see the Dodgers in the postseason granted giant if right mm-hmm. if they do get there they need to have this team improved by then to compete against the Dodgers but in order to even get to that stage this team needs to play at a higher level in order to get to that record that's going to get them into the postseason and I think without Byron Buxton they're not going anywhere near the postseason yes I, I, that was evident too that over three games without him you know they can kind of muster one great offensive output and it's not like they're playing as Clayton Kirk in those other outings either so I am concerned I think as much as anything I could say that my Minnesota won't be Buxton's injury uh, because again he's demonstrated just how important he is to this team all right well let's go ahead Dan Mauer's musings time I just don't know how it can get any better Mauer's musings yeah so I think my big question Dan is sort of what I alluded to at the beginning of the episode do you think that Buxton is going to be at 100% when he returns no I don't think so I the reason that he said some things about his injury where he was kind of feeling a little bit of pain earlier in the season in his knee I'm just worried that there's something there that we're not being told nor are we privy to it right I mean we're not we don't need to know all of the results of all of the tests these guys go through but the fact that he slammed his hand down so hard it's almost like he was he kind of knew that something was wrong and he had tweaked it there was not he wasn't surprised it didn't seem by that that's what I'm saying like I just don't think that he's actually is just a-okay as the twins are making it seem and why would they tell us that I mean there's no reason for them to really be the fact (laughs) (laughs) yeah I guess the fact that they haven't totally 
come out and said, Buxton is 100%. He's going to be totally okay. There's a lot of guarded, what they say, guarded optimism was kind of the phrase that I know like Dan Hayes used. Can Byron Buxton be healthy enough to stay on the field without further injuring himself to a point that he can't stay on the field? Can he play at 90%, 80% and not make it worse? I don't know. Like, I don't know if he's capable of that in that sense, because that would to me take some measured caution that his game, it doesn't go with that. It doesn't go with measured play because he's an all out kind of guy. Yeah, certainly. And he plays a position you have to be, right? He's a center fielder. You have to go all out when you're a center fielder. Well, so my Mauer's musing also relates to the outfield. Is Trevor Larnock going to prove that he belongs in Major League Baseball at any point this season? I mean, if he doesn't, he's done. Right. Like, I mean, he'll probably be let go or designated for assignment or claimed on waivers from another team. So I think he needs to prove it. Whether he will, I'm not sure. Twins Daily had an article about will the real Trevor Larnick please stand up? And that's really the question. Like, is he the guy who's going to hit, you know, 320 with with some bombs and play a great left field? Maybe. Or is he the next Jake Cave, Dan Thompson? As to Larnick. So, you know, he has that three hit game in game two, but then in game four, he's over five with five men left on base. I would love to see a long sample size here, especially if Kirilov's not coming back anytime soon. We haven't really got an update there. It would be great if they could just give Trevor Larnack some more regular at-bats here, where he's able to play three out of four games. He's able to bat five, six, seven in the lineup and really get a chance to show his quality. I, I think he likely will, um, especially, like we said, with Buxton sideline and with Kirilov sort of a question mark for the foreseeable future. But just like that, David, look at the lineup. Right? Look at the st- look at the outfield yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, what started with such promise, I mean, the game game here today was Garlic, Larnock, and Celestino out there. That is your Twins outfield in game four of the series against the Red Sox. Well, and that's what's so funny. During spring training, we're like, okay, well, we already know who's going to play in the outfield. Like, there's no question. Like, the real the real question is really just about third base and, like, how often a rise is going to get playing time. And now we're like, so who can we call up to play in the outfield again? Right, exactly. Uh, how quickly the mighty have fallen here, sir. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead, Dan. Time to grade this series. Series grades. I feel like we're we're just coming closer together here on our grades. <laughs> it's been very hard to find a lot of disagreement. We're quibbling over minor things here. I I have a B, and yeah, and I think it's a B because of the compliment sandwich that you brought up yes. earlier. There's a recency bias here that feels pretty good, and it started well. But I'm surprised that I feel that good after this series. Yeah, you know, had they not won today, obviously, I'd be tempted to give them an F because I think this series, like I said previously, I think this was a very important series for the Twins to at least get the split out of. I think a B is a very reasonable grade considering they split the series. I don't think it's an average because I think it was it's the Red Sox. It's not it's not just some ho-hum team like the Red Sox have a good chance this season to be a quality baseball team. So and for the Twins to go in there and split the series, I, I'm very happy with. I'll take, I'll take that almost every time unless it's the postseason, Dan. And they did it without Byron Buxton for basically the whole series. Well, let's move forward here. I don't know, Jack. It looked like Herbeck pulled him off the bag. Herbie's Headlines. Herbie's headline, Dan. This one, uh, this story made the rounds. If you haven't seen it, Dan, go ahead and talk us through this absolute insanity. So uh, a couple things here. I love Joe Madden as a manager. So he is the Angels manager now. He was the manager for the Rays during a lot of their glory years. And man, he is inventive. So the bases are loaded with one out and the Rangers are actually ahead already. They're winning three to two, right? So Corey Seager's up to bat and Joe Madden, the Angels manager, he intentionally walks Corey Seager to bring in a run. And then it becomes four to two. You know who's up next? 
next? Who is it, Dan? Mitch Thompson? Garver. Mitch, Mitch Garver. Garver. He's he's appearing all over the place in these Herbie's headlines. So and he hits a sack fly to then make it five to two. And the Rangers go on. They actually had a five run inning. So by the end of that fourth inning, the Rangers are up six to two. And the Angels actually came back and won the game. <laughs> they answered with five runs in the fifth, two in the seventh. They win the game nine six. Joe Madden looks like a brilliant guy. How many guys in the MLB Dan do you do you do that for? Not not many, right? No, <laughs> no. Walking. Well, and what does it say about Mitch Garver? Uh, the, the teams are going to walk Corey Seager intentionally with the bases loaded because they think, you know what? Maybe Mitch Garber is going to hit into a double play here. And he's more likely to get two outs than Seager's to get one. Like, I think that's the calculation, right? Yeah, but it is definitely a high-risk, high-reward strategy. It is. And I would not necessarily say that it worked out. Um, I, I don't think that that counts. So there was a balk then that came up next, and that's how they got the sixth run after um, after Mitch Garber's sack fly. So it didn't work out perfectly, but they did get the outs and, uh, and all is well, I suppose. <laughs> Pretty funny stuff, Dan. Well, let's keep going. Going here, Puckett's picks for the upcoming Royals series. And we'll see you Puckett's picks. Well, Dan, the first time we're going to see an AL Central opponent, and it's the Royals. And really, that is the team you want to see in the AL Central, Dan. The only one, right? If, assuming that the Tigers are better? Uh, yes, which I, which I assume they will be, and they look to be a bit better. But anyway, as far as the Royals series are concerned, the listeners, Dan, because Buxton is a bit of a question mark, took Urshela, actually, which was a bit of a surprise. But hey, you can't blame him. You just won with Sanchez, Dan. So I can't really criticize the listeners' picks. And also, I'm sitting with a net negative score here, so I can't really criticize anybody. Well, and Urshela actually leads the team in batting average right now with 296. So. There you go. See, I, I was I, ready I can, to criticize it too, but then you know, you know, I am proven wrong that. yet again, Dan. So I uh, get the first pick between you and I because because again my record is so dismal. I'm going to take Polanco. I think he looked decent in this outing, and I think that he's gonna he's gonna mash a couple. I think in this Royal series. Are you calling that? Are you calling a couple home runs? I am. I am. I think Polanco is going to have a very very good Kansas City Royals series, Dan. All right, well, I'm going to go with Carlos Correa. I'm going to believe his talk about championship culture and turning it around. And I think he, David, will hit three home runs this series against the Royals. My goodness. I, I thought my call was bold. Well, I got to be bolder. And you know what? Maybe Do you think they're going to boo him so loudly in Kansas City as they got booed in Red, in Red Sox land? Probably not as aggressively. There's still some Minnesota or like Midwest type nice, I think, in Kansas City. I'd be surprised if the boos were as aggressive. All right. Can but, I send us out here, David? Yeah, please. Please do. Let's let's be done with this series. On to the to the mighty mighty Royals, Dan. Hopefully the Twins, if they can get a series sweep here, Dan, that would just be so instrumental to having a 500 record at the end of this month. Quick standings recap: so the Twins are fourth in the division. They're four and six. The White Sox are six and three. So yes, David, I think uh, an above 500 finish to this month would keep them very much alive in the AL Central race. Here's to hoping. All right, well, folks, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Men for the Win. You can find our Men for the Win Facebook page as well. Make sure you've subscribed to the podcast so you're notified when new episodes are available. If you could leave us a rating, that would be great. A reminder that episodes are also now available on our YouTube channel. If you could drop us a like and a subscribe there, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And as always, go Twins. That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, go Twins.